everyone. Good morning to those at home, especially. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> morning. Little green leaves I'll talk to you in a moment about. So I'm going to read to you from God's Word, from the book of Acts, chapter 3, which is a wonderful story, and it's a story that will be familiar for many of you, and some of you may even know a little Sunday school song that used to be sung about this passage. This is Acts chapter 3, verses from verse 1 down to verse 10, which is really just the introduction. This story goes for two chapters, and we're dealing just with the beginning of it. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate, called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, look at us. And so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, to him, then Peter said silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up um, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped up to his feet and he began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognised him as the man who used to sit digging at the gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. May God bless his word to us today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity that we have to come together again. We come, Lord, to learn more of your truth and to receive more of your grace. Some of us come, Lord, this morning for our own selves and that we have needs, questions that only your wisdom can answer, needs that only you can supply, burdens that only you can lift. And some of us, Lord, come with sins that we need to deal with and have you cleanse us from. Some of us, perhaps, Lord, come reluctantly, but nonetheless, we're here. And I pray that before the end of this service, we might all be glad that we have come together. Most of all, Lord, we come for your sake. We come together to demonstrate our love for you, to bless you, as well as to receive a blessing from you. We come in the name of Jesus, the head of our church. And otherwise, Lord, we wouldn't be here without him. We pray that you would speak to us, reveal more of him to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. He receives a little green leaf on the way in, and the idea behind that, let me say it now at the beginning, otherwise I'll forget, but I might refer to it later on in the service as well. Out on the wall in the foyer, there is a white tree. Have you ever noticed it? If you haven't noticed it, it's there. It's not a marijuana tree. <laughs> but the leaves do look like marijuana leaves. I'm told. <laughs> what we want to do is encourage everybody to have a leaf, and more than one, and prayerfully for you to consider and to place a person's name, They're just their first name, um, first name and maybe the f last, first letter of their last name if you like, but just their first name is 
uh, all you need to put there. And we want you to take it. It's a post-it note. But it won't be sticky enough or last long enough and the wind will blow it off. And we want you to stick it on the tree on the foyer. So we want to cover the tree with leaves. And they're the people that we want uh, to be able to visually see that they're the people we are praying for with a view to inviting to Alpha. But this is the commitment to pray. And it's to pray for these people by name. And some of us will be just sometimes just praying for all of the names on all of that wall. So that's what it's about, if you would like to participate in that. There's some little blue tack dots around. They're not there today, I don't think. They are? Thank you. So there's the little blue dots there as well. You need to put that on the sticky bit and push, put it on. Um, if they come off, then we'll just staple them to the wall. <laughs> then we'll have to redo the wall. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> so that's what the little green leaves are which I think is a great idea, and there are hundreds of these. Do you know how much these cost? Not a lot. I think we got about 100 of them for $1.50 or something like that. What we don't want to see are leaves on chairs, leaves on the floor. Don't you drop your leaf. <laughs> so use it, write your name on it, take it home today, stick it in your Bible so you don't lose it. Um, and, of course, you can use as many of those as you want. Today's message, Acts chapter 3, I have entitled this. Can I have the screen up the back, please? Thanks. The man who asked for arms was given legs. Boom, boom. Oh, I thought that was a clever heading. <laughs> yeah, I did. The event so far. The church, the early church, started with 12 people, the disciples of the Lord Jesus. Then after his death and resurrection, the church grew to be 120. There were more, but there were 120 in Jerusalem at this time on the day of Pentecost. Then when the Holy Spirit came, the church expands or explodes to 3,000. And by the time you get a few chapters in, it's at 5,000 men, not counting the women at that point. So there'd been an explosion. They're running at about, I'm guessing, 10,000, half and half. And in chapter 5 and verse 14, it just gives this comment, Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. More and more. They've stopped counting numbers at that point because the church is just multiplying and expanding. And that's what we want to, well, not only tap into, but that's the process, that's the journey that we are on. They're also part of this of what God is doing. God loves to use people who have had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus. They are filled with his Holy Spirit and they are devoted to the five spiritual disciplines as listed for us at the end of Acts chapter 2, which Pastor David spoke to us very well on a few months ago. That's where they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, communion if you like, and to prayer. There was praise, there was uh, care of one another, people giving, distributing, selling property and distributing uh, funds so that ever, nobody was in need. They were continued to meet in the temple day by day and they broke bread in their homes and they were praising God and they were evangelistic. It was a commitment to those five disciplines, encountering Jesus, filled with the Spirit and devoted themselves to these, to reach, connect, grow, serve and honour. And God used them, just ordinary people, just like us. And if God used them, God can and God wants to use us as well. God's chosen instruments were fit for purpose, ready for use, and they were available for him. 
That's what this is a wonderful story to illustrate exactly that thing. Um, Peter and John had gone to the temple every day and perhaps several times during the day. Uh, this man may not have been there all day. He was there every day, but he not, may not have been there all day. He may have gone just at the peak times of when there was prayer. And the Holy Spirit takes this very normal, everyday event and suddenly the Holy Spirit says something to Peter and John. It was a divine appointment. It was them listening to what God was doing and responding to it. So too for us. You'll be going about your normal routine, your normal work, and suddenly the Holy Spirit will say, today. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, today. I want you to speak to that person. So we need to be open and alert. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, and we are told this is the one at three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, Peter and John are again are still together. Remember that Jesus had sent his disciples out two by two? Well, they're still doing it, and it's a very good and healthy practice. That's certainly the practice of Billy Graham when he was um, uh, ministering and alive and evangelistic. Part of his training process of having people knock on doors and issue invitations, he would always go two by two to encourage one another, to support one another, as well as probably to protect one another. There is no conflict between Peter and John with the temple. They're Christians, but they're also Jewish. And they're going to the temple, and they'll continue to do that for decades. It will be and way up until AD 70 before there is a clear separation where it's very obvious that they're Christians and that they're Jews and they are different. That will come in decades' time. The majority of the church way in the beginning was Jewish, and that would then transition to being primarily Gentile. There were three times of prayer throughout the day, morning, noon and night. Psalm 55 as well as Daniel chapter 6. At morning was at 9am, noon obviously was the middle of the day and 3pm was the afternoon prayer time. That's when the evening sacrifice was offered and that's at that time Peter and John are going up to the temple and their path is going to cross with somebody whom they would have seen or met before. Luke beautifully tells us this story of how these two lines cross. A man who was lame from birth, he had never walked in his life, would have had weak muscles, would have had a different childhood experience. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there by family members, by friends, and they took him up every day. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful. He had his spot, his location. Josephus tells us, we can't be exactly sure of which one it was, but Josephus describes the gate beautiful as being the most beautiful of the gates in, of all of the gates in uh, 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 the city of Jerusalem, but in the temple as well. It was between the court of the women and the court of the men. There were 15 steps going up, Josephus says, and he's placed at the base of that, waiting for people to go up and to go into the temple. And you would have seen it, like if you go travel throughout the ancient world, the context, certainly in the Middle East back then, and it's not much different today, is that outside every temple, mosque and church, you'll find groups of people gathering together. In fact, one person was, uh, is quoted as having said, when I enter a town, I look for a steeple because I always do better there. So his place is the temple. It's the only occupation he has, the only way that he can earn money for his family to buy a little bit of food. That's what he's done. He's begging for a little bit of money from people he's hoping are going to be 
soft-hearted towards him because they're entering their temple to worship God. Um, when he saw Peter and John who were entering the temple and about to go up those steps to go into the court of the men, <clears throat> not looking at them, notices them, but simply either looking down or looking away as they often did. Arms for the poor, arms for the poor. And on this occasion, Jesus, this guy, is, chapter 4 will tell us, he's about f at least 40 years of age. He'd been there for a long decades. The chances are pretty high that Jesus had seen him, that Jesus had passed him. Jesus didn't heal everybody. The classic illustration or reminder of that is at the pool of Bethesda, Bethsaida, which is uh, in John chapter 5. There is this pool and the tradition was that every now and again the water would bubble and the first person who got into the pool after the bubbling water would be healed. So there were hundreds, if not thousands of people gathered around this pool. And Jesus walked into that temple one day. It's like Jesus walking into this crowd and Jesus going up to one person and says, do you want to get well? Yeah, I'm trying, Lord, but when the water bubbles, I, I try to get in, but I can't. There's always someone who beats me. Take up your mat and walk. He heals him instantly, one person out of hundreds, and then Jesus leaves. Jesus didn't heal everybody. God has a timing thing. It's God heals people at the right time and in the right way. And for some people, healing won't come until the new creation, the resurrection body. Peter and John, with Jesus, probably also saw this guy. But it was not yet the time, not yet. I can only imagine, and this is just my imagination, it's not biblical, but I could imagine the Lord Jesus walking past this guy and smiling to himself and, and smiling at him and going, not yet, not yet. It's coming, but not yet. Well, Peter and John walk up to the temple as they had on other days and they walk past this guy as they probably had did on other occasions. And on this occasion, the Holy Spirit does something. The Holy Spirit must have given them a prompt, a nudge, spoken to them. Notice this guy. Do something with this guy. And so Peter and John respond. Peter, along with John, looks straight at him. So they stop going up the steps and they now focus on him. He's not looking at them because they say to him, look at us. And he turns, he lifts his head or he turns his eyes and he looks at them expecting that he's going to receive something. He's quite hopeful. And he is going to receive far more than what he has asked for. We'll come back as a point to learn from this for us. But Peter said to him, uh, I don't have any money. Silver and gold have I none. What I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up, walk. Silver and gold have I none. Back in 1260... Thomas Aquinas, famous theologian, um, went and visited the Pope, Pope Innocent IV in Rome. And in the process of visiting the Pope, the Pope gave him a tour of the Vatican and the Pope was showing off to Thomas uh, all of the wealth, the opulence of the Vatican City, their gold and all the rest that they had. And Innocent, Pope Innocent said to Thomas, ah, Thomas, no longer does the church need to say silver and gold have I none. To which Thomas replied, 
And no longer does the church say, rise up and walk. The more human resources that we have and rely on, the less we feel the need that we need divine resources. That's the danger of affluence. When Christians would leave the island of, I was going to say Chile, not Chile. What's the island off the coast of the United States? Bay of Pigs. Cuba. Thanks for your help. <laughs> when Christians would leave the island of Cuba, which is poverty-stricken, and go to the United States and get admittance there, the Christians in Cuba would pray for their brothers and sisters in America and who had just gone to America and pray that God would protect them from the temptations of affluence. Because in Cuba, they were white hot for Jesus, but when they got to America, they grew cooler. That's the danger that we have and live amongst. We are so abundantly blessed with resources in our lives and in our country. At different levels, I'm not saying we're all filthy rich, or, but most of us, if not all of us, are reasonably comfortable. God has given us so much. What was it Jesus said, to whom much is given? Hmm. Much is required. We are accountable stewards. He will call us to account. He didn't give it to us to use on only us. He did give it to us for us to enjoy, 1 Timothy 6. But he gave it to us to enjoy for ourselves and to use for our family and for his purposes. Hold it lightly. Silver and gold have I none. Peter and John hadn't worked for about three years. They'd been following the Lord Jesus, so it's quite true. They didn't have any money in their pockets. And we need to be very aware of relying on our own human resources. I think I have time. I've told you this story before. Well, some of you will remember this story. The very first church I ever went to was Seaforth Baptist Church in Sydney. And I was still in theological college and I was full-time pastor and full-time student. We were uh, Rhonda and the two kids and I were in this little church, church of about 34 members when we went there, filled with... Um, 20 of them, 25 of them would have been retired, I think. They were pensioners, but incredibly faithful. Very good givers, very faithful, very generous, and they embraced us very lovingly. We were there for three years, and uh, then God called us on. When we were there in, the th in those three years, it's a very old church, very musty, was run down, and they had... Remember when you used to go to the cinema and they had those old brown musty uh, chairs and with wooden handles and when you stood up, the seat flipped up? Remember those? They were very comfortable. But by this stage, they were musty and run down and, and the whole place just looked like it was out of a Frankenstein movie or something. It was just drab to walk into the atmosphere. So we said, let's update the chairs. And we got really nice chairs, like those ones, in fact... And I think they were yellow or mustard. So that brightened the place up. And then we, white, we, whitened, we washed and cleaned the walls. I don't know if we recarpeted it or not. Anyway, we got a whole facelift. And by that stage, the church was growing. We're now running about 80 people and young families. And Rhonda was in charge of the playgroup. Anyway, all of that to say this. To do the refurbishment, refurbishment it was going to cost us $8,000 church didn't really have $8,000 that they were flush with. They had so many thousands of dollars in the bank, but that was earmarked for the pastor's salary. So that's their thinking was, 
That's for you in case we go belly up. We have an obligation to look after you and your family. And I said, well, we're doing pretty well. Let's trust God to do this. Went to a members meeting, argy-bargy, backwards and forwards. And eventually the church said, yes, okay, let's do it. We did all of what I just told you to do. Cost us $8,000. The week after we made the decision, yes, we're going to do it, and we invested the $8,000, guess what we got the next Sunday? A check for guess what? You'll never guess. $8,000. What was God saying? God was saying, you trust me and I will provide. Don't rely on your own human resources. You rely on me. You cannot outgive God. Peter and John hadn't worked for three years, but when they went fishing, they caught 153 fish, which they then went and sold to provide for their families and whatever else, John chapter 21. God wants us to rely on him. Silver and gold have I none. Very true. In What is the American money saying? In God we trust. A colleague of mine in my accountability group, he said they should change what's written on the American money and it should says in gold we trust. Sadly, sometimes that's true, isn't it? We rely on our bank account, our superannuation. No, we rely on God, and that's where he wants us to be. Sometimes we just need to throw ourselves upon God. We have that choice. There are two ways to live. Trusting God or relying on ourselves. And I know, and many of you know, it's not really a choice. Relying on God is the only way to go. Well, what did Peter have? I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I'm going to give it to you. What did Peter have? Because what he had, we have. He had the Holy Spirit prompting and directing him. So do we. He had the name of Jesus. So do we. Unbelievers don't have that name. Unbelievers can't use that name. But a son or daughter of God can use the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. When the Holy Spirit is in it, when the Holy Spirit is prompting you, and when you believe and they believe, then God does something pretty incredible. Seven weeks before, that name had rung throughout the cities of Jerusalem. Everybody was talking about it. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That was what was printed on the cross Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. He was crucified and everyone knew it. This beggar would have known it. And it's in the name of the man who was crucified that Peter says, get up and walk. There is power in the name depending on the position of the person whose name it is. There is power in the name of Jesus. You've had this experience where somebody has said to you, go to that restaurant or go to that shop and use my name. Tell them I sent you and you'll either get a discount or you'll get good treatment or you'll, you'll get looked after because it's in that person's name. It doesn't work when the person is dead. It's a live person with power, influence and authority that gets you places and that's exactly what happens with the name of the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter adds to that with his faith, puts out his hand publicly, then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, helps him up. This man had never walked. 
He had never developed the skills, the habits, the balance, the awareness, didn't have the knowledge of how to walk, didn't have the strength in his legs or muscles to walk. Peter raises him up and instantly, Luke, in fact, in the Greek text, is using medical terms, that his feet and his ankles were immediately strengthened. Joints fitting into place and ligaments and tendons and everything else being strengthened immediately. And not only physically is he strengthened, but he's given the knowledge to be balanced and to actually walk, which he had never done before. That when God healed him, God gave him everything that he was required. He got far more than what he asked for. Arms for the poor. So too we. When we come to our loving Heavenly Father and ask him for things, he wants to shower us with far more as well. Peter extends his hand. This guy steps up and then see what happens. So he gets up and when he's standing, he takes a step. So this left back foot's got to give a bit before that foot can go forward. And he's doing that. What you learned to do when you're a child and what I learned to do as a child, he's now doing and he never learned it. He's been given the knowledge and all that he needed immediately. And he's walking and he's leaping. He's doing what my grandson does. <laughs> why does my grandson do this? Well, because he's a porter. That's why he does it. Nah. Because he's excited that he can do it. He's learning all sorts of things. He's learning to spin, run, do all those things. Well, so is this guy. He's never done it in his life, so he's walking. Look what I can do. And I don't fall over. He is thoroughly excited. He has uncontainable joy. And he enters the temple with them. And notice he is walking, he is leaping, and he did not forget to thank God and praising God. For the first time in his life, he goes into the temple. He'd been at the temple. He was never allowed inside the temple because he was disabled. So he goes in. All the people recognise him and they come running. Um, he's walking and leaping and praising God and they're astonished at what's going on. He's hanging on to Peter and John. I'm not sure what that means, whether it's linking arms or arms around them. He's just... I imagine affectionately, uh, and maybe for support, they're astonished, and that's the location, they're in Solomon's colonnade. Jesus expects us to be a people who are thankful. Remember the 10 lepers, one came back? Didn't I heal 10? Jesus says, where are the other nine? He expects to receive his thanks. And sometimes we're all focused on the gift and we forget the giver. So too, I was reading an article during the week about the prayer habits of the people in the West, United States, England, Australia. <clears throat> Our focus in prayer is, tends to be uh, very much on personal petition. Please, I need this. I want that. I must have this. Much less emphasis upon giving thanks to God or saying sorry to God for our sin or needing forgiveness. And not much of, I love you, Lord, praise. Our prayers in the West focus upon our needs and we want more. It's one of the dangers and temptations of living in the West. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people. Peter often found himself in the early church having to give an explanation of what was going on. So too on this occasion. Why are you looking at us? We didn't do it. The God you worship, the God in whose temple you exist, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, he did it. 
And I want you to know this, he did it through Jesus. It's in the name and the power of the name Jesus that this man stands before you whole. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know has been made strong. By faith in the name of Jesus, his faith. So there had been some sort of conversation besides what we've been given in the text. It's in Jesus' name that the, and the faith that comes through him that this man stands strong before you. Which begs the question, who is this Jesus? And many of you know who Jesus is. There's spiritual knowledge and a blessing that you have that many people don't have. They don't know who Jesus is. They have a rough idea and often it's a wrong idea. But you know who Jesus is. Well, if you don't know and you want to find out, let me encourage you to do the Alpha course. Let me encourage you to put the name on a leaf of someone you know who wants to know more about Jesus because Alpha will certainly teach you. Or grab a Bible, read the Gospels. If you'd like one of those today, we have some Gospels of Mark available. Or you could inform other people. Jesus has power in his name. It's the name above every name. We know that. It's at his name that every knee will bend and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. There is no other name under heaven given among people by which we must be saved, Acts 4.12. It's not a magic name. It's his name. It's a powerful name. It's the name that the demons tremble before and respect. Of all of the names that a person can have, Jesus in the New Testament has something like 250 different names. Trying to flesh out, trying to find the words to describe the authority and the beauty and the magnificence of who this person is. 250 different titles. Well, let's review, time has gone. The fisherman who failed, Peter, now filled with a spirit and is used by Jesus to connect with an individual as well as with a crowd. What happened to Peter can happen to us. Filled with his spirit, submitted to him, open and available. God's chosen instruments are devoted to those five spiritual habits. That's what the early church did in Acts chapter 2 and we're reading the overflow of that. That's why the church exploded. They were devoted. In connected with God and with one another and concerned about others that are evangelistic. The apostles were alert to divine appointments and opportunities as we need to be. The beggar got far more than he asked for. So do we. When we pray, God wants to give us far more than we can either imagine or think. He wants to bless us and use us. God answers our prayers in many different ways. God answered this biggest prayer. He asked for money. God didn't give him money, but God gave him something. He gave him the means whereby he could get money. Sometimes God will do that with us. Sometimes he'll provide for us directly. Sometimes he'll provide the means or the avenue or the opportunity for us to receive it. But we have to be patient. We have to cooperate with him. God answers our prayers in different ways. There is power in the name of Jesus. Very powerful name. When we pray, let's be balanced to praise and thanks God, to say sorry for our sins, certainly to ask him and to say please, but most of all, surrender. Not my will, but your will be done. Out of all of those, what did the Lord say to you today 
and what are you going to do about it? What will you do in response? God wasn't, doesn't want us just to know stuff. He wants us to commit to doing something. Think about that. And maybe share that with someone and hold one another accountable. If you would like a pastor or an elder to pray for you, then please come forward at the end of the service and take a chair and one of us will be there to pray with you. How about we stand together? We'll conclude our service standing in his presence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may the name of Jesus be exalted in this place and in our lives. May it be in the name of Jesus that we do everything. May the name of Jesus humble us. May the name of Jesus be in all of our prayers. And may the Holy Spirit in us help us to have a dynamic relationship with Jesus and help us to be alert to divine appointments and to open doors, opportunities to talk about Jesus. Lord, remind us, nudge us to be obedient to what you've said to us today. And as we go from this place to fellowship, go before us. Lord, fill us with your spirit and bless and use us, I pray. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said? Bless you, everybody. Please be seated.